Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC, offering a broad range of cardiac and vascular treatments in our community. More information is available at upmc.com slash centralpaheart. Welcome to The Spark. I'm Scott Lamar. The Pennsylvania Farm Show kicked off over the weekend, and while many see the event as an opportunity to sample food and products produced in the state, the Farm Show really is all about agriculture and rural life in Pennsylvania. The Farm Show is a good time to discuss the state of agriculture in Pennsylvania, a question we put to the state Secretary of Agriculture, Russell Redding. I think it's in uh, an amazingly uh, great position, right? Uh, And I say that because a year ago at Farm Show, we were, you know, looking at the forecast uh, and then the war in Ukraine occurs. Right, completely turns the world upside down. Fertilizer prices, fuel prices, food prices. Um, and uncertain about what all of that would mean in terms of you know the crop, the the you know uh, the the prices, and then you add to that inflation. So when I look back uh, at the last year, it's been a really um, uh, challenging year, but the margin has been there for farm producers. When you say margins, for those who may not know. What do you mean by margins? Yeah, margin is uh, the difference between, you know, what it costs you to produce a product and what you sell it for. Uh, There has to be a positive margin, a positive difference uh, to actually have a profit, right? Uh, And if there's no positive margin, there's no mission. You can't keep putting, you know, pay more out than what you're, you're, you're you know, gaining in the marketplace or by sale uh, and stay in this business very, very long or any other business, by the way. That has been an issue or a challenge for Pennsylvania farmers over the last few years. What changed this year that farmers and we're painting a broad brush here, but that Pennsylvania farmers are seeing good margins? Yeah, it is a combination of things. Right. And that's why I say it's amazingly strong because you wouldn't have expected that with the input costs that we saw in, in the spring because of you know fertilizer and fuel uh, and, and a 9% inflation rate. Uh, you wouldn't have expected that with the post-COVID and the food system challenges and supply chain challenges. But the prices that are being paid are providing that margin. And I think the marketplace is uh, as, as challenging as dysfunctional at times as it can feel, uh, it's actually producing a margin, a positive margin. So it's providing, you know, the dairy farmers a a decent price, the the grain producers a decent price. Uh, It's a product of, uh, I think, folks wanting to buy local, right? There's more farmers markets and direct farm sales and value-added activity on the farms. So it's a, a, you know, a convergence of things, but in this case, uh, positive things that have produced, I think, a really good, solid foundation for ag heading into the year. So just to be clear, you're saying that farmers have benefited from inflation? I think they benefit, yes. Uh, A year ago, wouldn't be sure. But again, uh, it's both an input question on inflation and an output uh, question for inflation. You always have, it's not always negative. Right. Inflation is both a rise on uh, input costs and a rise in output costs. That's the way it 
uh, we hope it works. It happened to do that this year. So I don't think that inflation's all a negative. It also raised wages. It also raised the value of products. So our challenge is heading into this coming year is whether that margin, that positive margin remains. So it's really a fascinating set of dynamics that I think put us in a good position. A lot of optimism. We see that in the farm show uh, this year. Uh, if you talk to machinery and input sales uh, folks, they will tell you that the last quarter of 2022 is a really good year. Uh, folks made some money and they're, and they're going to reinvest in the equipment. What about consumers, though? Yeah, so consumer, that's, that's always the, uh, the challenge, right? I mean, you, we're in the food business, so you feel partly responsible. Uh, for what what happens in that marketplace, uh, I would say it, it's it, a little bit like the farm discussion. There aren't two farms alike. There probably aren't two consumers alike. It depends on your income. So if you're seeing some rise on, on the you know offset of the inflation through through wages, then you're accepting some of the um, you know the the in, increased uh, costs on the inflation side of what you buy. Uh, but it's certainly you know it's trickier there. Just because of the variabilities that we're we're seeing in uh, food consumption and and, uh, in, and particularly in certain categories of food, um, you know, like in the, the the meats and dairy and eggs and such, protein side, really uh, 13, 14 percent increase, and, and that's that's not sustainable, right? So, response to that uh, has been you know the smaller package size, right? There are challenges in um, you know the the uh, uh, amount of fresh fruits and vegetables that folks buy as a result of that. Uh, it's impacting the convenience that folks are expecting of, of their food. It's whether they're eating out as much as they used to. So there's a ripple effect to that. And I don't, I don't have a good answer to it, but I think it's, it's something certainly as we look at uh, consumers generally, and then particularly those who are either on some fixed income or are food insecure, uh, that we're seeing some incredibly you know, challenging dynamics uh, inside of our food bank community, particularly because they, you know, they're trying to buy the product and they can simply buy less and, and feed less people. You just touched on this, but uh, maybe some of it is pandemic related. People change their habits. Maybe inflation does have something to do with it. Maybe availability has something to do with it. Mm. Have consumers changed that much and in what ways? Again, you kind of touched on this. Yeah, they have changed, and and I uh, I think if there was a silver lining in uh, the pandemic, it was that um, you know uh, folks rediscovered uh, who's feeding them, right? And they rediscovered their ovens. Uh, they would do more shopping and cooking and preparation at home, and and that was clearly uh, uh, a response to you know uh, their availability and access externally, uh, but it was also um, really important for, from an agricultural standpoint, because the closer that uh, that retail dollar, the transaction occurs to the person who is producing the product, the higher the margin is to our conversation earlier, and the more likelihood that the individual who is selling the product is profiting from the product. The further you go into the supply chain, right, the more value you add along the way, the less the actual farmer receives. Uh, and that, that is a, a change that we've seen. Uh, we have seen a shift back to eating out, but maybe not as much as we were pre-pandemic. It was about a 50-50 split previously. It's not quite back to that. Uh, we are seeing package size changes. And that's not just a response to inflation and packaging. I think it's a response to preparation times and conveniences and stuff. Uh, we're seeing a lot more buying local. 
and direct, direct purchase, online purchase. That's why the broadband discussion becomes really important to Pennsylvania agriculture. If you can access the market, you can benefit from the market. But if you can't access it, you're not benefiting. And that's one of our challenges now. So uh, in a recent conversation at the farm show in standing in the food court, I mean, talking to one of the major uh, uh, fruit uh, processing companies in Pennsylvania, uh, really strong concerns about uh, you know, the, what, what the future of this marketplace is because it hasn't settled out. Right. It's moving from from, you know, a, a sort of institutional packaging to more consumer type packaging. But it's not clear as whether that consumer packaging is uh, the right size yet, right? And profits and, and uh, pricing points. So I, I think there's so many things that have changed inside the food system from awareness of food and access to food to packaging size and conveniences to pricing issues to expectations on our schools to feed our children to, you know, a, a food insecurity and an awareness. And it's so many dynamics that are, they were there prior to COVID, but they have been uh, you know, magnified uh, of both uh, importance and who needs access to things today than we had in a pre, pre-pandemic. You said that uh, ag economists were concerned about the war in Ukraine and what impact that would have. For Pennsylvania farmers, what was the concern? And the way you described it, it didn't have much of an impact or a negative impact anyway. Yeah, the, the the impact for us, uh, multiple, one one being just the fertilizer prices. Half of the fertilizer that is consumed in the United States comes out of, uh, you know, uh, out of outside of the United States and a lot of it out of uh, Ukraine and, and uh, you know, I'll just call them foreign sources and the ripple effect of that. So we, we watched that play out real time uh, in this unprovoked war in Ukraine. Uh, where those markets were disrupted, uh, supply chains disrupted. So the anticipation was that there, you may not be even able to access the fertilizer. That didn't play out that way. What you saw was a three, sort of a 3x increase in the price. People paid it, uh, hoping that there would be a chance to recover that. That's one example. Two is there was uh, concern about the... Uh, uh, impact of uh, uh, the shipping and access, supply chain, but shipping. And some of that uh, was resolved during the years we, we heard negotiated by, uh, between the Russians and Ukraine. Uh, there was concern about availability of the ripple effect of grain that couldn't move out of the U.S. market uh, that would normally go into the international market and whether that would have a back sort of a backdraft uh, on on this. Um, and then there was a concern of just the, uh, uh, you know, the, the global sort of food insecurity concern. So all of that was at the time presented as uh, you know, the, the concern of the marketplace not being able to accommodate all of those shocks, right? And potentially uh, not being, uh, not producing. Uh, any positive margin or sufficient margin uh, to allow recovery of the input cost. So it was really a, a touch and go all the way through. This wasn't just a February issue when the war began. This was a uh, all the way through to harvest. But the market stabilized and, and are now, I, I think, you know, okay. And actually produced a profit for us. But I think that's the fragility of this industry. You know, it is so crazy. I mean, you've got the weather issues we watch play out all the time. You've got 
market disruptions that play out. Um, you know, you've got generational transfer issues that are occurring, macroeconomic issues and wars. All the while, our expectation as consumers uh, don't change in that we are expecting that food to be there, right? Uh, we have not disappointed anybody in agriculture. We won't do it you know, this week in the farm show, in the food court. But I think that's one of those interesting dynamics where all of that has to be managed in this galaxy of uh, production agriculture by you know, a lot of different people to still produce a positive margin and, and great food and stability and predictability for us. Secretary, you mentioned broadband. And I think that most people are catching on that uh, farmers are business people. And just like other businesses, other industries, uh, they have to be skilled when it comes to technology. So that means using computers. They're not sitting down and writing uh, their expenses and the money coming in on a piece of paper anymore. Uh, but that broadband issue has been one that has plagued Pennsylvania. The places, especially the rural places in Pennsylvania, where broadband is not available. Apparently, it will be soon. But talk about that and how much of an issue that is for the ag community. Well, there, there's been a, a tremendous, uh, you know, move forward, right, by in, on both the federal side and state with the Pennsylvania Broadband Authority being, you know, created an investment and a strategy and a plan. Uh, and uh, real time is making sure that, you know, folks go to the, the, the Department of Community Economic Development website and note whether they have a signal or don't have a signal, right? This is the, the FCC map that's been talked about a lot. That closes on the 13th of January. But the key to that is uh, making sure that we know who has access, the, the strength of that signal, if you will, and who doesn't. Uh, and we know that there are a lot of areas of the state that simply have either a very uh, weak signal or no signal. And inside of that is, is the agricultural community and folks who are trying to figure out, I mean, how to monitor markets. Uh, the equipment that they're buying is embedded with technology that provides data, right, real-time data. Again, all predicated on a signal. And if the signal's not there, the data's not there, right? There's a delay. So that, that's one piece. The other is just from an from a outlet standpoint, uh, we clearly see... Um, you know, the, the uh, consumers and buyers uh, you know, wanting to, you know, to buy online, right? And they're, they're buying, you know, fruits and vegetables and meats and you name it. Uh, well, if you're in this business of food and agriculture, but you don't have access to that market because there's no signal, uh, you're, you're handicapped, right? So I think that that's, that's all part of this. But at the end of the day, uh, making sure that we can connect those rural areas and farms uh, from a business standpoint is important, but it's only uh, the start, right? It's about access to health care. There are areas without veterinarians uh, in Pennsylvania that you need a signal to connect to a veterinarian. You need a signal to connect to the hospital and your rural doctors and specialists. You need a signal to get to the service repairman for the equipment that you just purchased. Now, you can go down the list. I just think it's, it's, it is so, uh, you know, so critical to a functioning society. It's like the rural electrics, right? The rural electrics found themselves in the rural electric business because of, you know, others didn't want to go there, right? 
there's some very interesting parallels to, um, to to this issue of rural electricity and broadband. And we should always remember, you know, the the Pennsylvania's history there. Of it was here in PA with Governor Curtin, right, who did the original sort of work in the Rural Electric Authority that became part of the Roosevelt administration. So I think there's really interesting pieces. But to the point, uh, you cannot function unless you're connected. And I don't care if you're in the, you know, the school teacher or the doctor or the farmer, uh, you have to have that signal. And that's what we're, we're hoping for. Uh, and the plan with the broadband authority, I think, points us in that direction. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's, a, it's an important day. I'm going to switch topics on you here. Uh, in the last 10 years, Pennsylvania has lost a lot of farmland. Uh, that would seem to be a challenge going forward. There are pressures on farmers because yeah. the population is growing, maybe not as fast as other states here in Pennsylvania, but it's still growing. People are looking for uh, places to live, and there's housing developments going up all the time. Farmland, let's face it, it's a perfect place to do it. What about that? How do we, do we need to stop it, or what can we do to plan for it? Yeah, um, it's a great question, right? And it's one that, that we struggle with every day. Uh, I've I, say it often that we're so grateful that, you know, the uh, uh, the governors and legislatures have passed. I mean, saw the wisdom of a farmland preservation program that has allowed us to, you know, have the, the nation's leading farmland preservation program. And we shouldn't miss that. That's 600,000, uh, you know, 600,000 plus acres and uh, over 6,000 farms. And, and that's important, right? Uh, and there's some other, you know, clean and green and preferential pieces. But at the end of the day, the only thing that's permanent is an easement. Everything else is negotiable. And that's what we're, we're always concerned about. You've got prime agricultural lands uh, that are being consumed for development, and particularly, you know, some of the big box and the warehousing and single-family housing. Um, it, it's not a reason to panic, but I think it's worth a, a really healthy uh, public conversation about the use of and the disposition of our prime agricultural lands. Um, and I say prime in, in Pennsylvania means there are, there are eight classes of soils. The, the first four are considered prime agricultural lands. Uh, so in a public space is why do you want to consume your best agricultural lands uh, for development? There are other places you can put development. So they're, they're compatible. But we've got to be a lot more strategic about the use. What do you do about it? This is always the question. Uh, municipal planning code, there, there, there are options there for local planners. There is zoning. You have to say where you want things and where you don't want things. And that has not been uh, something we've been willing to do in the Commonwealth because of local governments. Not being critical, but I think we just have to say, on one hand, we have 59 counties that said, yeah, I want to you know, preserve my prime agricultural lands. You've got 1,200 farms on a backlog list who say, I want to sell my development rights. At the same time, we're, we're just letting our prime lands be consumed. Uh, so that's worth a really healthy conversation about what to do. Long-term play is making sure that you can feed yourself. Long-term is to make sure that we can, we can protect the prime lands of Pennsylvania, uh, and that's not going to happen just by chance. I think we've got to be very strategic about that. On this program, I'll be speaking with the Chesapeake Bay Foundation. Their annual report card is out. Today's farmer in Pennsylvania has to be environmentally conscious as well. 
Not that they weren't before, but especially today. What impact does that have on farmers, especially when you were talking about margins earlier? A lot of farmers that want to do the right thing, but just haven't had the money. What about today? Yeah, so it's it's always a, a, a challenge for us just because there there are there's tension uh, between the aspirational and the practical, right? It's even our own lives, right? Uh, and I think and this is a, a perfect example where the aspirational is I want to do all of this conservation work. I want to do all of this stuff. I know what I need to do. At the same time, I've got a checkbook. I've got a market. I've got a family. I've got weather. So I just want all in in the community to understand that we're really trying to do the right thing. There's a lot of conservation being done. We get it in terms of sustainability. We get it in terms of climate. Uh, We've been doing the right things, but that's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time. It's going to take money. We made a major investment this past year in the budget uh, with a clean water uh, $220 million. So I'm positive about it. It just has to be a co-equal goal, uh, viable farms and clean water, and we can do it. About 30 seconds left, and I know this is such a huge issue in 30 seconds, but you mentioned climate. What impact is climate change having on Pennsylvania's farmers? Yeah, so uh, farmers have a very intimate relationship with the climate. Right? We get it. Uh, but folks don't, uh, in the farm community, often sort of translate the practices that they are adopting for purposes of production and conservation stewardship as climate practices. The reality is there's a co-benefit to it. Uh, part of it is our narrative and how we speak of it. Two is it should always be an and, climate and farming, climate and food, climate and. I think the and piece to me has resonated when I talk to the Amish, when I talk to the, to the English farmers. They get it if you look at it in terms of management and the other things you're doing being counted towards climate. Pennsylvania Secretary of Agriculture, Russell Redding, thank you very much for being with us today. Pleasure. Happy New Year to you and thank you. You're listening to The Spark on WITF, your home for NPR and discovering all things local. I'm Scott Lamar.